Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. As you gear up for the biggest game in the NFL season, Podcast One is teaming up with the Underdog Network to be your one-stop shop for all things football. As the big game draws closer, Chris Horwadell is joined by the Dan Patrick Show Danettes for their NFL postseason analysis. I, I, I don't disagree with you. This could be one of the ugliest games of football of all time, uh, which the Jaguars were already a part of one of those against the Colts this year, so we'll see True. if they replicate that. Check out the Underdog Network and the Dan Patrick Show every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On the January 3rd edition of the PFF Forecast, we've got a couple of important things to close out to remember, uh, and then we're going to jump into the wild card games and a quick discussion of college football, even though it sucks. Let's rock. A lot of big things that have happened this week. Some firings, uh, some some great takes. We're off to a good start. The takes are so good. I want to begin today, though, with a remembrance. Yesterday was the two-year anniversary of the Giants wide receiver's boat photo. So I went back and I looked at it. And there are a couple things that really stood out to me. Do you want to guess what? What they are? What the? Here, how about this? Guess what the most amazing thing? I'll show it to you. The most amazing thing about this photograph is uh, the Timberland boots. Because if you fall off, you're dead. Right. The the Timberland boots and wearing jeans in the middle of the ocean is very questionable. So is the guy that is wearing a beanie. That's also oh, yeah. That'd very, be me. That's also very <laughs> questionable. Me. But you know what the most incredible thing about this photo is? The Giants were in the playoffs when this was taken. <laughs> yes, that's true. This was two years ago. The Giants were in the playoffs. When is Gettleman going to take credit for it? <laughs> they got there by accident. Does they, Greg Gabe take credit they for made, it? They made losing a priority and ended <laughs> up winning, and that's how it happened. No, as ridiculous as this photograph is, the most amazing thing about it is that the Giants were in the playoffs. They since then have gotten the number two pick squandered it on a very good player that isn't making a difference for them because their team overall is very porous and seem they seem to be in a worse place now than they were at the end of last season Gettleman has no idea what he's doing um, mm-hmm. Odell seems as disgruntled as he was before I don't know Bad news bears, but this photograph. Hey, but they they won two more games this year, so they're moving in the right direction. <laughs> in the right direction, that's yeah. true. Uh, they're going to run Saquon into the ground to the point where he's not even going to be the best running back on their team when they're competitive. Yeah, I mean, they. Uh, but by then they could they could sign uh, Chris Carson to a big deal. That's true. So maybe Tariq Cohen comes free. All right, next thing. Uh, this is this is sad. This one is tough for me. Um, 
want to take a moment of silence. Born in 2018, out of the beauty of a brilliant Someone's master, idea. Yeah. A brilliant master, dead in 2018 as well. The booger buggy. Now, do we know if it died in 18 or 19? It it won't exist in 2019. Yeah, so I'm going to say. I that, mean, do we actually know that this is a just a one game thing, or is it a an you know what I'm saying? Because sure. in basketball, a coach will play like a nine-man rotation during mm-hmm. the regular season and then in the playoffs shrink yeah. it to seven or eight-man. Is this something where ESPN has like the, you know, pulls the boogie in for the playoffs and then brings it back out for the regular season? The amazing thing is that they thought it was going to work. They stuck with it for 16 weeks and then get to the Don't biggest, talk about the Giants, okay? Stop. Get to the second, enough about the Giants. Get to the second biggest win, game of the season for them and they decide to pull it. It doesn't make any sense yeah, to me. It's but true. um anyways, it's going to be sad not to have Booger. So Booger's going to be in the booth. Is if the correct? Giants were in the playoffs, we we actually we actually don't know if the Giants would make a similar decision about their Booger buggy in the playoffs. <laughs> Because they aren't in the playoffs, as you so eloquently noted. I, so where is he going to be? Do we know where he's going to be? What would be the best place to put Booger? Uh, section 8, seat 14. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> How great would that be? Next to two fans who I guarantee you 90 times out of 100 believe the same stuff that he believes about football. I would. That would be the best place to put him. I'm wondering if they're going to put him in the booth because that will be comedic glory at its finest. Do you think they just duke it out? There was always that weird dynamic where they were far enough away that it felt passive aggressive. Now it's just going to be, look, I have all these ideas. I need to establish the run. And so I'm going to start talking fast and furious. It's going to be great. But, you know, and and this is a tweet we found that was retweeted from April uh, 26th. 2017 they're just following the the lead of one jose canseco oh do you have it do you have uh is this a from the dark web nope because there's one more from the dark web yeah yeah so jose canseco from your hometown of oakland ish actually i'm not going to i'm not going to i am not not going to besmirch but you're northern california love oakland not from there the oakland athletics have to try to establish some type of running game i mean savant Truer words. Jose Canseco never. I mean, Absolute can Jose slot. Canseco go in the booth? Can you imagine how great that would be? Him and A Rod would be something special. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then we have a trend zone here. This was tweeted it's out by Sports Brought Center. to us by It's Just Lunch. <laughs> yeah. I, I miss those sponsors. History repeating itself for the Saints. Uh, the 2009 Saints went 13 and 3, as did the current. Edition, the 2009 Saints lost to the Bucks, the Cowboys, and the Panthers. The Cowboys on a Thursday night football game in both years, I, I believe. As did the 2018 Saints, and their playoff seed again is number one. I'm just saying, all four of those things. Both quarterbacks have a, have a mean ass scar on their face. <laughs> it's uh, let's go. It's pretty impressive. Uh, okay, that's all the random stuff that we have. This is one of the last podcasts of the uh, 2018 season. Yeah, it's in 2019, one of the last podcasts of the 2018 season. So thank you to everyone that has listened. We appreciate you. And uh, look forward, forward to, to a pl- great off season. It, 
we're not there yet. We're just at the beginning of the best part of the football season. So it feels weird to say that. The playoffs are the best. It's the most exciting time to watch football, to talk about football, because you've got teams that are in, you know, that didn't make it, that are looking forward. You've got teams where this is their shot, their opportunity, where they seize it, where they let it slip. And then the eight mile references are in the. And then you've got you know you've got coaches coming out. You've got the draft. This is the best time of the NFL season. It's the most fun to bet on games too because there's a small sample. You have a little competition with your friends. We'll do that here. Unfortunately, we didn't win the super contest. We came close. I think we got what fifty eight percent. Yeah, we were something like fifty seven percent. Yeah, forty eight thirty six and one. We had a really rough start. Had a couple of weeks. I think we went fifteen and zero. Um, yeah, we went. Yeah, I think we went ten and zero. Unfortunately, I think that the the consensus picks went something like seven and three during yeah, those weeks. That was unfortunate. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, above fifty five, sixty was was the goal. Uh, a little bit short. So yeah, and it was a rough year. We honestly, I think. We're Honestly, if we didn't pick the Falcons, we any if we did pick the Falcons at all, we would have been forty eight, that's twenty nine and one or something that's, strange like that. That's but. true. Um, so what we need to do is find we need to t- find our weaknesses. We need to get back in the gym. Uh, we need to get ourselves. You know, we need to we need to make sure that we're in better shape next year. That's going to be our goal. All right, let's do uh, let's talk quickly about the coaching vacancies because. Okay. These have obviously Monday everyone got fired. The last place that you would want to go to coach is where? The Arizona Cardinals. Why? Arizona's uh, a nice place. Phoenix is nice. Is it? Cuz I feel like if you're a child born in Phoenix, like your first words are like it's a dry heat. Okay. You like the cold, which is weird. Phoenix is nice. It's like, okay, okay, okay. So my issue with Arizona is... Oh, it's not just the weather. <laughs> yes. Okay. So so they had a, a odd front, played really well under, you know, I believe it was Betcher when he was you know the defensive coordinator there, and and man coverage with, with Patrick Peterson. You drafted Hassan Reddick, who could play kind of that inside-outside. You had Dayon Buchanan on the inside. Um, you know, you had, I think, some defensive linemen that you thought were going to work out in Kimdiche and so forth. Steve Wilkes comes in. They turn it into a 3-4. Some guys become unplayable or less good. Patrick Peterson becomes less good as his own guy or less valuable, I guess. He's still a good player. And then Buchanan, Reddick, all those guys are not playing that same sort of like defense. And then you fire Wilkes. Do they just come back in and make the you know play the 3-4, the 3-3-5, and all that kind of stuff again? Or... You know what do you do? It's just so hard because you know you you sort of started a transition and stopped. And then the other thing I think, which is not trivial, I think both of us at times have been were happy about Rosen, but on an EPA per play basis, he was the worst quarterback in the NFL this season. And and the questions, unlike I think some of the questions we have with like New York Jets and so forth, is whether or not he can improve there and how much they have to do to improve him because the offensive line is so poor there and their supporting cast aside from an aging Larry Fitzgerald is simply not there. That's the issue. They have very little offensive talent. David Johnson is great, but he's a running back. There's only so much you can do there. They don't have any receivers. Larry Fitzgerald is, I mean, the the fact that the guy is still starting in the NFL is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I would... I mean, Arizona was 50 ELO points. So ELO is on, the, uh, on a system where the average is 1,500. They were 50 ELO points worse than the 31st worst team in the NFL. So 
I mean, there's a substantial difference between them uh, and anybody else. And so I just think on that alone, but plus the quarterback situation being as as in peril as it could okay. be, I think that's the worst one. Are you done ranting and raving about Phoenix? Because this is not even close to the worst job. Oh, tell me not more. Not even remotely close. Okay. By far, by far, in a way, the worst job, the worst You're opening. You're going aren't you? is the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> the hometown Bengals. It is so much worse than every other job. I, there are, I'd rather have this job that I currently have than be the coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. I, don't even get me started. Andy Dalton, not very good. You're basically siloed into mediocrity. There's no room for expansion there. You've got you tied yourself into some players that are only getting older and have proven to not be a unit that actually gets you over uh, the top and you're in a in a division where I mean you're, you're going to be running third at best that to me is the diff- the difficult thing because the Browns appear to be good yep. the, the the Ravens appear to be good I do think that the Pittsburgh Steelers at some point have to fall off a little bit well they need to find another quarterback when Ben leaves but I also think that I think that the I think that the Bengals have talent on their team. I think AJ Green is one of the premier wide receivers in the NFL. I think sure. I, I think offensive line wise they took a step in the right direction this year, getting sure. Cordy Glenn and, and drafting Billy Price and yeah. and so forth. I think no Dalt- dry heat here in Cincy. Well, yeah, no dry exactly. heat. I, the but the, but the, here's the thing: Dalton actually played well a season ago. He was he graded pretty well in our system. Mm. He had twice as many positively graded throws yeah. as negatively graded throws. It's great. And and I and I think defensively, William Jackson, Jer- Jesse Bates. I do think they have some young talent in the secondary, and the secondary does matter. The question becomes: Is yeah, as you well, said, up top, do the, they actually want? The, are they going to shoot for? I. That, that I would tier. be, if I'm a coach, one of the things that I would be looking for is what what's the ownership situation? And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that the Cardinals have a better situation in that regard, and I would rather have Josh Rosen than uh, Andy Dalton. Okay, so that's, that's the worst. Um, why don't you go through and rank the, the middle ones all the way up to... I don't know if they'll have the same GM either. That's a good question. Um, why don't you go through and rank the rest of them, in your opinion, up yeah. to the best? For me, it goes I probably uh, Cleveland, Green Bay. Um, for a lot of the same reasons, Cleveland, I would say the New York Jets are third. Okay. Um, Tampa Bay, Miami. Uh, no, Denver and then Miami. Let's go with that. And then Cincy. And then Cincy, Arizona. That would be my ranking. What? So at the t- those top three, very different situation for Green Bay compared to Cleveland and the Jets. Do you would that change the type of coach you'd be looking for, or do you think that, for example, any coach out there is just as good a bet to go to Cleveland as they would be to go to the Packers? Well, I mean, for for Cleveland, I think I think there's there's more of a you can cast a wider net because I think if you hire a defensive-minded coach, you can keep Freddie Kitchens around and you have a, oh. a nice pair for oh, the you're future. Gonna you're going to jump on the Kitchens bandwagon. That, that, defense, that defense has so much talent. 
They had like their draft class mm-hmm. was worth like four wins this year above replacement. Like I think that's an attractive job to a defensive minded guy and an offensive guy in my uh, minded guy alike. I think Green Bay you can make a far lo- less case for that. They have Jair Alexander on defense, but aside from that, like yeah, you know. I think Green Bay, you're basically asking, where is an offensive guy that can come in and, and work with Aaron Rodgers? And I think that that's less easy than the Cleveland job, right? Because if you're a Green Bay guy and you come in, you're hard-headed, and you, it's my way or the highway, that's not going to fly in Green Bay. The expectations are also higher. And if you're too submissive, right, you're, it's not going to be a good job for you either. Right. So, so I just, that's why I think Cleveland's probably a better job than Green Bay at this point. I think they're both the two highest, clearly, but... Uh, I think Cleveland's a better one just because it's more attract- obviously more attractive to the person who's going to go there. I, I'm going to actually s- switch the Jets and Green Bay. That I think Cleveland is the best job. I would switch the Jets and Green Bay for the simple reason that if you go into Green Bay, you have such a hard job to meet those expectations. With the Jets, you've probably got three four years where you could improve yeah. and still not even make Todd the playoffs Bowles. Todd Bowles you know um, the Jets also totally devoid of talent so that's the tough part there they have they traded away a bunch of picks they don't have a lot of talent but at least you've got a young quarterback I, I think the Jets from a job security standpoint offer a little bit more the Packers it's going to be really tough we've seen so the Packers have either had coaches that lasted a very short time Ray Rhodes, yep. or a very long time as Mike Holmgren, Mike Sherman, and, and uh, Mike right. McCarthy have. Honest, sort of weird that they all have the same first name, by the way. Um, the Jets, I will agree with you. I, I, I actually recoil a little bit on this idea that the Jets have less talent than the Packers because actually we don't, like every time the Packers have had Rodgers hurt, they've been a complete dumpster That's fire. That's true. The Jets at least have Jamal Adams, who's extremely yeah, good. That. I don't know. I mean, know. look, Jair Alexander. Leonard Williams is a great player. Okay. But the Packers have good guys up front. So, I, okay. I, I don't disagree with having the Jets. That's my one that. change there. Okay. We'll get off this topic with this one. You, you get to take uh, – actually, I'm going to start here because I don't want you to steal my, my take here. If you are any team out there, the first offer that you should make is to Cliff Kingsbury. Here's my reason. There aren't any good candidates out there that have proven really much of anything. Mike McCarthy rode the Aaron Rodgers train. Matt LaFleur, from what I can tell, has done nothing, given that Tennessee is a disaster of an offense. Um, All of these Rams quarterbacks coaches, I'm going to go ahead and say I would stay away. Uh, Eric Biennemi is interesting. To my knowledge, he has not done a ton of play calling. No. I don't think he has as much experience. Actually none of the designing reads, got, none of the read guys have done play calling, and they've been kind of hit or miss. So obviously, you yeah. get Doug and you get Maggie, but you also get Brad Childers. So, so here's here's the thing: the the teams that have the pick of the litter are probably Cleveland, Green Bay, and and the Jets. So they can pick anyone they want. But if you're a team that doesn't get that opportunity, this is your chance to take a guy who if. If he goes and sits as an OC somewhere, will be the top head coaching candidate in a year or two. When you will have no shot, you'll be saddled with some crappy coach that you settled for this year, and you'll have no shot at signing him later. So you should make this investment now. If you're the Cardinals, if you're the Bucks, if you're the Dolphins, 
you should go make that offer now. And if you're Cleveland or Green Bay, and Green Bay is the only one that I feel like would be a little hesitant, but I would put him and Aaron Rodgers in a room, see if it works, and if it does, you're in great stead because Kingsbury understands offense and he can connect with these players. He understands how to manage uh, players. Players love him at Texas Tech. Pat Mahomes still loves him. This is a no-brainer to me, and there are a lot of people out there whining and yelling about how Cliff Kingsbury is getting a look, given that he hasn't coached in the NFL yet. Those people are closed-minded and dumb. I, if I had, and of course this is this is not new. If I had my if I had my choice of a head coaching candidate in the NFL, I would I would probably go after somebody else's coach. And hmm. given that, given what we know about the value of coaching in the NFL right now, right, especially because there aren't that many quarterback openings, the elite quarterbacks are starting to regress a little bit. The young quarterbacks are starting to be really good. Like the the edge to be had is having a great head coach. I think, in my opinion, so if you're somebody like Cleveland, go after Belichick, God, go after you're, Mike you're Zimmer. Just never stop. I mean, but Mike Zimmer. Yeah, I I actually don't <laughs> mind Mike Zimmer. So like okay. my issue again, like a coach okay. who's a coach who's somewhat dis, I wouldn't say they're disgruntled at their own place. Let's but a bring coach in Zimmer so that he can yell about running the ball. That sounds great. But was Zimmer was Zimmer would Zimmer delegate is the question because I do think did, like if you're looking do at, so last year. Yeah, but he also took a team that who in 2013 allowed 30 points a game was the worst defense in the NFL for years and has made them a perennial top five unit. So he is very good. How do you feel about his decision making? I think his decision making is median. I'm just saying, like, if I identified another team's coach that I thought was brilliant, Mm -hmm. McVay, for example, would if you're Cleveland, would you give two first round picks to the to the Los Angeles Rams for Sean McVay? Yes. Okay. So that's, that's no my way point. the Rams take that. Though, that's is my there? point. Uh, maybe. I mean, because that. I mean, that was that was always the issue. Like the last coach to get that was were guys like Gruden and Bel- and Belichick, right? And Belichick always had like rubbed rubbed elbow. You know, they, they were always having difficulty with the front office and everything, right? If there's a situation where people are having difficulty distributing, uh, you know, glory, right, or or. Uh, you know, taking credit for things like you can easily I think two first round picks would entice I think a lot of people even if it was a dumb decision to me I think that's going to be sort of maybe the next the next move is to simply say well we don't know anything about these coaches let's go out and get one because there is no salary cap for paying coaches right, right. so I would I would do that if I couldn't get Kingsbury I'm not I would never settle for someone that has just been beaten. exactly that right? is so, the point just yeah. don't so i don't and i don't you and think i have Rams, a different opinion of mike zimmer in the sense that you probably think he's more towards mediocre and i think he's probably i don't think he's elite but i do think he's i wouldn't more trade towards anything elite. for him yeah that but it but but if he if it, he's in a situation where it, minnesota because think about minnesota minnesota bought into a quarterback that i think there are rumors that he's not quite sold on like he you know and they're not getting rid of the qb so i would never hire I would not hire a defensive coach because it you're not going to get the best offensive mind to come be an OC. That's just not going to happen. And or if you coach, do, they're going to leave to be a head coach, as Pat gonna, Shermer did. Right, you're going to have to hire them uh, away, and or you're going to have to hire them yourself and fire the defensive-minded guy. And the other thing is so many of the important decisions need to be made with respect to the offense and with an offensive mindset. That promotes winning. Yeah. And if you have a defensive mindset, you always assume that you're never going to get scored on again, and you end up losing. It's just. But if you if ridiculous. you if you offer the same trade for Belichick, 
he's too old probably to give first two first round picks to. That one's closer. I don't know if the Shanahan yeah. two two ones. Not taking Kyle Shanahan for me. Don't do that. Okay. Uh, let, we have one quick. We have a Samparanta, a a question from the dark web here. Um, and Samparanta, of course, going to continue through the playoffs, offering us delicious flavors. There is sparkling water for men. Finally. Finally. And this week's flavor is old fart on lawn alala berry with a slight suggestion of senility for when you go on Twitter and tweet just complete mumbo jumbo about a guy you know nothing about who is Antonio Brown, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Not saying anyone's done that, but if... If they were to, they would be sipping on this. Jose uh, Canseco, we heard from him, and Matty Ice Apostle. I wonder if he's a Falcons fan. Uh, when was the last time we had four playoff games where all the dogs had the better QB? Is it time to make some money? This leads us into our wild card games here. Uh, I think you can make that argument that all four underdogs have the better QB. So are you taking all four underdogs? Uh, I think, I think all four are probably the lean against the spread for sure. Um, if you want to ask this question, the, the last time it happened, 2015, when all four underdogs and road, I don't know if they're all four underdogs. Actually, I think Pittsburgh was, uh, favored in, in Cincinnati, but in, in 2015, all four road teams won. Green Bay had Rogers over cousins as a road team. Seattle had Wilson over Teddy, uh, Bridgewater in a road game. Uh, Kansas City had Alex Smith versus Brian Hoyer of Houston, road team. Kansas City's only playoff win since 1993. Pittsburgh had, of course, Big Ben versus uh, uh, not Andy Dalton, but uh, who was in his place, uh, A.J. McCarron in 2015. So that was the last time, and it it probably will. If you're going to see all four road teams win, again, it's going to take the quarterback. Uh, in that spot. All right, so we're going to go through these. Let's have a little friendly uh, playoff competition here. Um, just best record against the spread gets uh, dinner of some kind. Yeah, can't let's do sk- it. Can't skimp on me. I don't. Want, I haven't tweeted since Jan one, so I'm still working. I'm still. Uh, this I'm is still true. On the. On the uh, I'm still close here. Eric's going to somehow make it through Jan- sober January, not tweeting, and then it's just going to be the floodgates are going to open. <laughs> no, it's going to be no. a disaster. All right, let's start with Indy at Houston. Uh, this is probably the closest in terms of who has the better quarterback. We can debate this. The Texans right now a one or so point favorite. That's really surprising to me, isn't it? Yeah, because when, when Indy went to Houston about a month ago, they were somewhere around five and a half point. And I think people bet Houston in that mm-hmm. game because I think it moved from about four to five and a half or so uh, in that in that spot. I think people are now probably overreacting to the Colts uh, and how well they've played down the stretch, maybe souring a little bit on Houston as it's become a little bit more apparent that they're somewhat paperish champions. Um, I, I think both these, I think this is going to be a great game. I'm actually really happy that green line doesn't have it. So I can just sort of enjoy it as a fan um, because Watson, what Watson gives you is, you know, improved, I would say he's improved his rate of turnover-worthy plays. He's under 3% this year. I think he was one of the leaders in the NFL last season. Mm-hmm. He's still facing a ton of pressure, but what he does have is DeAndre Hopkins, who's amazing. And on the other side, Luck. Luck's been great. I mean, Luck, you know, yeah. we, we were talking about the Colts as a playoff team when they were 1-5. So it's really been nice to see sort of that uh, evolve to get to where we're at. Luck getting rid of the ball quicker, just being extremely solid. He has a big-time throw 1.5 percentage points more than Watson does. 
What worries me a little bit is I think Luck is the more volatile quarterback in this situation, which is not something we would have said last year. No. But if I had to pick one of these guys to make a what-the-hell-was-that throw, we even saw Luck do that in Tennessee. Um, I don't think that the Colts are decisively the better team here. And this is tough because I like the coaching edge that Frank Reich has over Bill O'Brien quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the quarterbacks are pretty much a toss-up. The thing is, the Colts' defense is not good. They're being bolstered by a great scheme. At least the Texans have some guys that can make some plays on the defensive side. And then here's the thing. The the edge for me goes to the Texans because their most valuable non-quarterback is better and in better health than the Colts. And that's T.Y. Hilton versus DeAndre Hopkins. So uh, I think this should be uh, closer to three. And just I hate having to do this, but I think the right side are the Texans. So I'll take the Texans minus one. I'll take the Colts. Oh, trying to get an edge right away. All righty. You're going you're gonna to write this down somewhere? We have this somewhere. Here. Hot, big letters. Eric takes Colts. <laughs> All righty. Uh, next up, the Saturday night game is Seattle at Dallas. The, is, this, is this lock of the week material? I think it's got to be. I think it has to. I think For the second time in the PFF forecast era, Seattle at Dallas. We're going to be on the same side of this one. There's no way that I am taking Dak Prescott as a favorite against Russell Wilson. There's just no way. Mm-hmm. I was watching Get Up this morning. and Did it help you get up? <laughs> that show is, show is not good. Um, and I forget who it was. Was Marcus Spears? He was on there talking about how if Dallas can show consistently what they have this season, which is a great defense, they can win the game. Ooh, and I just, started, I just started laughing because that's actually one of the things you can be least consistent about is how well a defense is going to play. It's, you know, there's so much the, the lion's share of the credit always goes to the offense. So whether the offense plays well or not is going to dictate that first. That's the first order thing. And the offense here for Seattle isn't great because they do some things that are suboptimal. They run way too much on first and second down. They put Russell Wilson in tough situations. Um, But he's by far the better quarterback, so he's getting points. We've seen this game happen multiple times. Yeah, and, you know, last season when we took them, right, they were five-point dogs. Now they're only two-point dogs. They started the week two-and-a-half-point dogs. Mm -hmm. They were one for a little bit. Now they're back out to two. Um, you know, not no key numbers here, so it's kind of like fluid. You know, if, I'd probably think about Seattle on the money line if I was somebody who was going to bet this game. Um, what we what we have here that's different this season, which I think is important. Everything you said is true. Seattle inefficient, doing inefficient things, getting bailed out by the quarterback. Dallas's offensive line is not nearly as strong as it was a season ago. Zach Martin, or uh, sorry, um, Travis Frederick is no longer their center. Uh, you know, left guard's a little bit of a, of a rough spot for them. Tyron Smith's been banged up all year. Uh, Lyle Collins has had a decent season, but he's not as strong yep. as what they've had there in the past. And up front, the Seattle Seahawks are pretty good, right? Frank Clark's a good player. Jerron Reed's a good player. And they have that star power in Bobby Wagner. So when I look at Dallas trying to do the things that they've done all season, which is run the football, 
be efficient on early downs. Uh, it's, at least in the run game, I just don't see that happening. And while that doesn't matter in general, in this game, I do think both teams are going to try to establish the run, and I think Dallas will do so relatively unsuccessfully. You can't establish the run. You can't win. The worrisome piece for the Seahawks is that their defense has been living on the right side of variance. They've been getting hemorrhaged on first and second down, mm-hmm. playing well on third down playing well in the red zone i think they have the most red zone interceptions uh in the nfl this season so the the idea that this seahawks defense hasn't regressed is probably a little bit faulty and i think for that reason it's going to be tough for them to move much further than beating dallas uh unless you know russell wilson turns into god and is able to throw 50 times a game uh but the the advantage here on offense at least from a playmaker standpoint is notable and at least the Seahawks you made this point the other day have great players on the defensive side and Bobby Wagner KJ Wright um Bradley McDougal's a good player sure Shaquille Griffin isn't uh it's okay it's okay so um I think Seahawks are the right pick lock of the week lock of the week so all right Sunday afternoon early afternoon morning if you're on the west coast this is a pretty good game Chargers Ravens rematch this time in Baltimore are you as incensed as everyone else is about the Chargers having a much better record having to go play in Baltimore I'm not so there are things that don't bother me about the NFL it does not bother me that if you don't win your division you have to go on the road in the first round of the playoffs win your division right Uh, it does uh, fumbling the ball out of the back of the end zone. Don't fumble the ball out of the back of the end zone. These aren't things I'm going to go on. Well, I'm not going to go on Twitter this month anyway, but I'm not going to go on Twitter and and talk about how unjust... For one, it's a game. So right. there's nothing unjust about a game when you contrive the rules. This... No. I mean, the Chargers, you beat Kansas City week one. You don't lose to Denver at home. You're the right. one seed in the right. AFC. So They also got put on the early game. Yeah, I mean, that's tough. I mean, I, I would say that if you're going to have geographic differences on purpose, then you probably should maybe put this game at the 3 o'clock, mm. 4 o'clock game. But them having to go on the road for this game, I have no issues with. And especially for a team like them, it has no home field advantage. Uh, the only issue here is, again, the, the travel uh, and, and the time of game. But I still think... I don't know. Baltimore's a three-point favorite here. It's moved out a little bit from two, two and a half. I, I Sam will back me up here. I don't know what everybody is, you know, loves so much about Baltimore. To be honest with you, yeah, I'm going to take the Chargers as well. I, I like Lamar Jackson and what he's doing, but what he, what they've relied on. Everyone talks about how it's the running game. It, it is to a certain extent right they bludgeoned the browns what god only knows what the browns were actually doing on defense but what has been the key for them is that lamar jackson has made these big throws in timely situations that is a very unstable that's not a thing to hang your hat on it is a tough thing to repeat whereas uh the chargers in that game against the ravens Phil Rivers just under siege under pressure like 53 percent of the time wouldn't expect that to happen again Pass rating of 115 when clean. Lamar Jackson, 87 when clean. There's just a huge drop-off in the most stable setting for these two quarterbacks. And I think it helps quite a bit that the Chargers have already played the Ravens. Well, I was just going to say that because they won their rematch with Denver last week. 
They won their rematch with Kansas City last week. Both of those games were road games that yep. where they lost the home game, right? And Anthony Lynn, so people lumped in Anthony Lynn with uh, – with Vance Joseph because they played that first Monday night football against game against each other. They both had their blunders in the past. But one thing that we've learned from Anthony Lynn, right? 2017, they got off to a horrible start, finished strong, wasn't enough. This year, they got off to a slightly less horrible start, finished strong. Again, winning their rematches. Anthony Lynn appears to be a person who has learned, can learn from mistakes. They gave up a ton of, of yards, a ton of expected points, everything like that in the early parts of the season. But as the season closed here, the Los Angeles Chargers were tied for first with Buffalo for the least amount of EPA allowed per early down pass play. So they're strong there. They're a little bit weaker, a little gooier in the run game, but I do think they learn from that. I think they dare Lamar Jackson to make throws as they did last game. And and as you said, the unstableness of that met, you know, of that dynamic might come into play here. Yeah, Baltimore just the 18th most efficient offense since, since week Lamar 11 Jackson. they're being uh buoyed by some i mean they let the they let the, the cleveland good. browns a pick that we made they let a cleveland browns backdoor them last week they probably should have lost frankly given some of the play the jarvis mm-hmm. landry drop uh the fumble return that wasn't uh a missed field goal at the end of the half so we're not talking about a juggernaut here in baltimore it's a very nice it's a very nice case study into what happens when somebody like Lamar Jackson's playing quarterback. They'll be an extremely interesting team to handicap next year. But as three-point favorites here against the Chargers, you're basically saying that they're the same team as the Chargers, and I, I, I fundamentally reject that and base it on you know just an overreaction to Week 16. Fundamentally. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I was going to see. Someone asked about uh, Lamar Jackson's accuracy. So I was going to pull this up here because... We get the highlight reel. Yeah, you get the highlight reel and you see him make a couple of great throws. And the nice thing about Lamar Jackson is he does so many other things that make up for the overall, you know, inaccuracy. But um, I want to say. Yeah, so the least, the highest rate of uncatchable throws since week 11. Is week 11 when he started? believe so yeah yeah they're four and five. Uh, josh allen josh rosen and lamar jackson only guys above 25 percent lamar's at 26 rosen 27 josh allen 28 um one of the things also that people don't realize is the fumbles are a key contributor and add so yep. uh, you know among quarterbacks with a certain number of dropbacks these are the quarterbacks that have had negative epa per dropback and this includes the scrambles uh you know alex smith Kirk Cousins, Blake Bortles, Derek Carr, Case Keenum, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Eli Manning, Jeff Driscoll, Josh Rosen, Brock Osweiler, Ryan Tannehill. So you're talking about a quarterback in that cluster. He's literally an outlier in terms of the players that are playing uh, in the playoffs. All here. you've got to do is, is say Ryan Tannehill and you've got yeah. my ear. Uh, so we're both taking the Chargers here, getting three. Uh, let's see. Both... On Seattle, and then both on LAC. All right, the Sunday night game. Philly at Chicago. This is the only game that has a bigger than three-point spread. The Bears, uh, I believe, are favored. The true Bears. Yeah, they're favored. Um, what's the spread now? Is it five and a half or six? I believe it's moved out to six. It has at times gone down to five, five and a half. So, um, All right, we'll, we'll keep it at six here. Um, I, I can't imagine that either of us are going to want to take Mitch Trubisky 
covering a six-point spread. But if you had to make the argument for the Bears, what would the argument be? Well, I think Nick Foles, right? I mean, so, you know, you simulate Nick Foles' games and, you know, 40, you know how, what percentage of Nick Foles' games are such that you can't win with him? Of the last three, zero. <laughs> so, and, and, and similarly, if you simulate Mitch Trubisky's games, what fraction of them are such that you blow another team out, especially a team sure. as flawed at times as the Philadelphia Eagles? I think, you know, he played a terrific game against the Vikings the other day. He wasn't, he, he wasn't perfect, but he certainly beat them with his legs and with his arm. As you talked about on the YouTube channel, I think to, yesterday, the Eagles get pressure at a rate of 39% of four-man drop back, you know, four uh, four-man pressures. So they when they don't have to blitz, and they don't have to blitz more than anybody in the NFL. They 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 do it the least amount. So the Bears are good offensively, good offensive line, but the Eagles have struggled in the secondary. They don't have to overcompensate for that by bringing extra players. Their linebackers, Jordan Hicks, is a great coverage man. Uh, you know, they they have pretty good you know sub packages when they get Corey Graham in there. Uh, so I do think they can stop the Bears if they get them in long yarded situations. The key to not getting the to getting in long yard situations though is covering the best running back in the NFL, which is Tree Cohen. Yeah, to me, it's the the thing for the the Bears. They are the Jaguars of last season that's what this team is they have a subpar quarterback they have a great defense that has remained healthy and that is making all of the big plays they have the most interceptions on non-turnover worthy throws in other words those are throws that are picked off less than five percent of the time Mm -hmm. and they have the most interceptions of those throws they are making plays yeah there is no other way to put it and if they can sustain that then they can beat anybody that's a hard thing to sustain it's not something that you want to bet on because it is less stable than say how well an offense plays but here's the thing the eagles with Foles have been a worse team on first and second down than they were with wentz that's what's really funny so they dramatically worse and i'll i'll pull up the numbers uh here but it's really it's not even that close that's uh one of the funnier things about it they have never really been an efficient team even when they took even when they won the Super Bowl last year on early downs. So almost a yard less per play with uh, Wentz, uh, sorry, with Foles in the last three weeks than with Wentz. This is taking out the first couple of weeks where Foles was bad. They're converting for first downs on first and second down, about 8% less. Um, EPA is down, success rate is down. All of those things are down on first and second down. So what, the, what has happened is they're in longer third and to go situations mm-hmm. on average. That benefits the Bears a lot because they can, again, as well as the Eagles can, get pressure without sending the blitz, and they have so many playmakers in the secondary. I think if there's, if there's a time for this third down glory to regress, it's going to be here, and that's what, that's what has carried uh, the Eagles. Uh, the third down stuff is ridiculous. They're converting third downs 12% more, to almost doubling their yards per play on third down with foals in there. It's just it's absolutely ridiculous. Foles hasn't taken a sack on third down since he came back. 86% completion percent, 10 yards per attempt, 135 pass An rating. amazing throw against Houston. That, that uh, series, that was the first uh, set of downs on that game-winning drive against Houston. First two downs, awful. Just disgraceful. <laughs> I think that they might have been on the third and 15, third and 10, whatever it is. Gets bludgeoned by Jadavian Clowney. Looks like he's dead. Th- lofts it up there. Alshon Jeffrey 
makes a, a nice contested catch as he does so often, and they convert on third down. That's the type of play that against the Bears could be a pick six. That's yeah. how the Bears win this game. The other side of that coin, though, is that Mitch Trubisky has gotten that, bailed out more than any other quarterback in the league this year, right? I mean, it's not even close. And, and his his EPA per pass play, let me look at this for a second, is point one one. The guys around him, if you look at just raw PFF grade per play, negative point oh five, negative point oh one, negative point oh seven. In Josh Rosen's case, negative point three four. Yep. Like he's just in this like weird group of guys who have, have not been. He has just as many turnover worthy plays as big time throws. He has almost as many negatively graded throws as positively graded one. All those have improved actually as the season has progressed, right? But right. you know, if Mitch Trubisky plays as he did against the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football or against Minnesota Vikings on Sunday Night Football, the Bears could be in for a difficult one uh, on su- on uh, Sunday Night this week. One of the things that has saved Trubisky has been his running. He's running less effectively after coming back from his injury. Yards per attempt uh, about cut in half. But here's this sort of speaks to Trubisky's season. Fourth highest rate of uncatchable throws in the NFL behind Allen, Rosen, and Winston. 22% for Trubisky. But he is the only quarterback to have less than five accurate passes dropped. Only three of his accurate passes have been dropped. His receivers are making the yeah, yeah. most of every throw that he has, and that is why passer rating, EPA, all those things look a little bit better. He's also been a first quarter or bust guy. No turnover-worthy yeah. plays in the first quarter. All of his turnover-worthy plays yeah. coming after it. So all these things that would scare you about Mitch Trubisky yeah. are are valid, you know, valid things that should scare so you. So strangely, this might be an interesting thing to talk about, like live betting, right? Because if you're looking at if you if you looking to back Philadelphia, maybe you lay off until the first quarter Mm -hmm. or so is over because we know that you know Trubisky against the Vikings he threw his one touchdown pass early in that game Mm -hmm. against the Rams I think he struggled early but we've seen like he got out he jumped on Tampa Bay early right he jumped on you know Miami early but then as the game has gone on he's he's increasingly made poorer and poorer decisions uh you know this might be a spot where you sort of wait off knowing that you know, we like Philadelphia shade that way, but wouldn't endorse, you know, necessarily the biggest pick in the world there. If you wait until sort of like you get to like end of the first quarter, maybe the line's like four and a half or something like right. that. And you, you go ahead and back Philadelphia, especially if you make sure that Nick Foles is, he- is fully healthy and, right. and so on and so forth. Uh, like and what the move. weather's like. Yeah, I like that move a lot. One of the things that is interesting about Trubisky is it, you get the sense that Nagy is really good at They've got this set the of The Green plays. Bay game was the huge one, right? The early. They've got this set of plays. There's a lot of misdirection and motion that it, it opens up these first reads for Trubisky. And he's been pretty good there, about a 98 pass rating on first reads, 8.3 yards per attempt. When he has to throw to a second reader later, 63 pass rating, 6.3 yards per attempt, far more turnover-worthy plays, but over 10% uh, rate on turnover-worthy throws there. So as the game goes on, the defense is able to react a little bit better. They know some of the things you can do. You don't have that advantage of this brand-new stuff. It, it come back, comes back to haunt them. So I think for that reason, uh, like you said, the Eagles uh, are the right choice here and maybe waiting until uh, the second quarter to do so. Yeah, Not too bad of a decision. Uh, if there's a... A matchup in this game um, that maybe isn't the most important, but that you're kind of excited for, what what would it be? 
I've got a couple. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've already said Cohen against the you know combination of Graham, Hicks, Bradham, those yeah. guys. Um, obviously, Burton against the same three Hick, men. Hicks has been low key not great yeah. in coverage. Well, he, well, he was very good in sixteen, hurt in seventeen, and then yeah. ha- has had his time eleven. Uh, Ten and a half yards per target against running backs. So yeah, far so season. so that that one's sneaky. Obviously, like the offensive line for the Bears have no big names, but they've all played extremely well. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of big names up front for Philadelphia. Those are the ones I would think about. What about you? There's a couple. Uh, Mac, it, where he lines up? Are they going to try and get him on Jason Peters, who has been the weaker of the two tackles? Incredible to say. Right, he, mm-hmm. I think he struggled, you know, maybe with injury. Or he used to be such a stud over there, but he has been the weaker of the two tackles. Max splits his time uh, decently on the left and the right. Lane Johnson has been the better tackle, uh, and so that you know, it'd be interesting to see where where he goes and where he has more success. And then here's the thing: the, the Eagles have been so reliant on the tight ends. So are they able to find some matchups against yeah. the Bears to exploit that? Roquan Smith has been great covering tight ends. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Bryce Callahan was injured in the in the Rams yep. game. Sherrick McManus is one of the best special teams players in the entire league. He's been amazing. In 2015, though, when he was the starting nickel for the Bears, was terrible. He was He's good. actually played well great. since coming in. However, you wonder if they they get in that 12 personnel, they match up one of the bigger tight ends against him. Does he is he able to hold up? As you said, Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan, a couple linebackers that it's tough to go against. I mean, the Bears are great everywhere defensively. It's so weird because Callahan goes out. We say, oh, they're in big trouble. McManus, not very good. Been targeted 17 times, just nine receptions, 59 yards, uh, uh, 61 pass rating. It's been our highest graded slot corner since he came back. So, you know, that goes to show about how unstable coverage can be from season to season. Even game to game. Maybe it is simply being surrounded by all of these strong players has allowed him to be better in slot coverage than he was the last time he was out there. Yeah, McManus in 15 when he was the starting nickel. 147 passer rating allowed so it was sort of uncanny now he's as you said allowing a 53 pass rating he's had three interceptions and intercept uh, three pass breakups and one interception terrific so far all righty on the eagles we go that uh let's do a quick uh college football final no one likes college football college football sucks what's wrong with college football it's terrible it's a terrible product well, okay so it's awful i I have not watched one bowl game where I've been like, oh, this is great. I've only watched three or four because they're all awful. But I tried to gut through a few over the holiday season and the holiday spirit. They all sucked. All the players are not very good. The coaches are dumb. It's terrible. Wow. Uh, The only reason that they've kept the college uh, playoff the way it is is to get people talking about how they need to change the playoff instead of how crappy the games are. So here's what I'll say. You're absolutely right about the the quality of the game, and it's because the quarterbacks are not very good. We talked with Zach Robinson. Zach was a former NFL player, great college quarterback in his day. Oklahoma State legend. Agrees with us, but how difficult it is to be a great college quarterback. Here, though, Tuatago Valiola, Trevor Lawrence, two guys who I think have the at least possibility of being great quarterbacks and if you get that sort of high level quarterback play you might get a good game Alabama Oklahoma got out of hand early we saw Murray play extremely well that was an entertaining game at least I do think that 
here Alabama favored by about five. You might have an opportunity to see that happen. I think Clemson's being a little bit overvalued here because of their dismantling of Mm -hmm. a poor Notre Dame team with a quarterback, Ian Book, who everybody was edging about. Ended up not oh, being. Yeah. Ended up being. Ended up not being very good. Shocking. Yeah. Turns out Notre Dame not athletically yeah. comparable to Alabama. Alabama will not be not athletically gifted. What would Oklahoma be favored by against Notre Dame? Uh, well, in hindsight, I mean, I would put them at probably nine and a half. Hmm. Let's see. Actually, we don't have to wonder these things. While you figure that out, here's. The interesting thing, college football, college basketball, both suck. They, they're terrible. Like, watching those games is awful. And the reason college basketball manages to have success in their postseason is because they have the most brilliantly designed playoff system alive, which is a rapid-fire, one-and-you're-done situation. So all of the games matter. They happen really quickly in succession, and so you get a ton of drama that normally isn't there and that overwhelms the fact that you know these games suck. And because they happen in such a close amount of time, you have guys that get hot. It's fun to watch. You have all these upsets because there's so many games. The, the college football doesn't have that because they just take these top four. They don't allow for any of these big upsets, and the, uh, all the other bowl games just don't matter. None of them matter. The Rose Bowl doesn't matter. None of these games matter. Um, it's a terrible product. I think the line would be a little shorter based upon our numbers, but uh, I don't know, man. I would be, I would it'd be take, hard. Uh, the yeah. athletic mismatch between Kyler Murray and literally anybody that plays for Notre Dame would be tough to overcome. Maybe Notre Dame can ride some of the success and recruit some, some better players. Anyways. All right. That is... So, uh, so if you're looking... Probably Bama, now that the number's down a little bit. Okay. Wait till everybody bets Clemson some more. Trevor much like, Lawrence. Much like with Ohio State, four and a half was a good number. Six hair. and a half was not. I like Trevor Lawrence quite a bit. Everyone loves Trevor Lawrence. Here, here's the sneaky thing. The Alabama supporting cast is better than Clemson's. Their pass rush, Quinn Williams we know is playing. Dexter Lawrence, there's some question mark there. Um, I trust Tua's receivers more than I trust uh, Lawrence's when pressure comes their way and I think both front fours can get and the time that Clemson there. beat Alabama they needed Deshaun Watson playing a historically good game. game and while I like Trevor Lawrence a lot there's obviously the question as to if he's as brilliant in this spot as uh, um, you know Deshaun a, as Deshaun Watson is so hopefully this game is less lopsided all right we'll be back with you on um wonder when we're going to record but we'll have our normal monday morning we'll do a little look ahead to uh the divisional games which should be fun i will be thinking about the kansas city barbecue which i will be having on saturday my last last sunday uh night ish it's going to be on saturday afternoon but the last mbc game of the season will be in kansas city hopefully that uh will be i'm hoping for a chargers rematch i think that would be that, that would be sweet. That would be the best uh, the best option. Anyways, uh, in the meantime, hit Eric up on Twitter. Nope. He won't respond. Nope. But uh, to try and entice him, please do so. See you guys.